0: Three broken lives were changed in a moment when they encountered Christ. A thief, a murderer, and an adulteress. Over this week and the next, we're going to look into these three broken lives and their encounter with Christ. And as we do, I'm afraid that we just might discover how we too can be just like them. A thief, a murderer, an adulterer three lives. The thief who was at the end of his life, the murderer who was on a mission to end life, and the adulteress who was stuck in a life of shame. All were completely broken, yet they all encountered Christ. The thief knew he was broken. He admitted it. The adulteress Everyone knew she was broken. They caught her in the act. But the murderer was oblivious to his brokenness until he encountered God. Two encountered Christ willingly, seeking respite, seeking help, seeking forgiveness. But one was encountered by Christ, a blinding force not to be reckoned with. Jesus called himself in Matthew twenty-one forty-four this cornerstone. And when we fall on this stone, we are broken. But when we refuse to fall upon that stone to be broken, when we're broken, in our brokenness, That verse also says that but to anyone to whom this stone falls will be crushed. So it's better in our brokenness to come and fall before God than for God to have to come after us. Because there's only two ways to encounter Christ. Either willingly coming to him in our brokenness, or he will come to us and reveal our brokenness. So let's look at this first broken life, the thief. So turn with me over to Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read out of the New International Version. Luke chapter 23. Starting down at verse 32. He had just described the Uh, leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus, the beating that he went through, uh, the cross they laid on his back, getting him up to the place. Um, And here we are in verse 32, that there was two other men, both criminals, who were also led out with him, Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Speaking of his accusers, those that are crucifying him. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, Jesus answered him. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word and we offer it up to you, God, and ask for you to mess it up, fix it up, anoint it, God, and then deposit it back into our hearts and our spirit, each one, according to what we need, Lord, to be able to grow and be able to produce the fruits that you have for us. God, we just ask right now that you be the center of today in our hearts, and our mind, and our worship today, God. Have your way. Amen. The thief knew he was broken. Verse 41 says, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He was already judged. He was already convicted. Now his punishment was being carried out. But think about it. While he was in this excruciating and mind-numbing torture on the cross, one thief heard the whisper of God. One thief heard the Spirit of God calling him to repentance. As Jesus' own disciples deserted him, in his darkest hour, this thief reached out for him. This thief encountered Christ. But what about that other thief? He was hanging there. Not only was this man next to him, he watched as Jesus prayed for those who nailed him to the cross. He witnessed the salvation of the other thief, and he even heard the promise of paradise. But his pride kept him from bowing to the only one who could save him. These were the two thieves that day, one on his left and one on his right. So my question to you is, which one are you? I, I can hear you saying, what are you talking about? I'm not a thief, I've never stole anything in my life. Or maybe you did and it was so long ago, well, it doesn't count anymore, right? Isn't there like so many years that you know it just kind of gets wiped out when it does happen? I remember when I was just a kid, my first memory of my childhood, where I was actually walking somewhere, was walking down to the corner store with my big sister and stealing that one penny bubble gum and putting it in my pocket because I had no money. My sister had money. She was getting something, but I remember standing there in the candy aisle, and she's up here, and she's looking at something. I don't remember, but my eyes were right there with that bubble gum. And I grabbed that bubble gum and stuck it in my pocket. By the time I got home, I was already thinking, I'm going to chew that. I could taste it in my mouth. I'm chewing that. You know those bubble gums that will rip out all your feelings if you're over 30? That's the gum I had. And I was ready to experience that, and I got home. And I don't know why I thought I could open it up in front of my mom, but I did. I remember reaching in my pocket, pulling it out, and opening up that. And my mom looked at me, where did you get that? I told her, I got it at the store. Now you didn't, I, and she went and she did what all mothers did and went, you know, 300 miles an hour in her speech telling me everything I did wrong and how I, and wrapped that back up and you are marching your butt right back down to that corner store. And she knew the corner store owner's name because, of course, back in those days they used to, you know, dirt floors, horses carried us there and, you know, and my, no, I'm just kidding, I'm not that old. But anyway... I had to march. She marched me right back down there to the store, and I had to hand that, you know, piece of gum back to the manager, and I hope he didn't put it back in the, but he could have. You know, in those days, a little dirt was good for you. But then I don't know if that day was Sunday or the next day was Sunday, but I remember all the way to church, my mom kept telling me, now you better ask God to forgive you for stealing because you a thief and you stolen. You better ask God to forgive you. You're going to hell. And I thought, for a piece of gum, I'm going to hell. And remorse. and I mean, I just weeping and crying at the altar. And it was either that day or the next day. I don't remember that much about it. But I remember crying, Lord, I'm a thief. I didn't even know what the word thief meant, but it had something to do with gum. And I took it. And I'm so sorry. So I know you're sitting there thinking, oh, Brenda, that's you. I'm not a thief, though. But let me just give you the definition. I had to look it up. The definition of a thief, a person who takes possession of another's property, especially by stealth, sneakily, without using force or violence. So let me ask you, to whom do you belong? You are not your own. According to Psalms 139, I read it over and over again, the whole chapter there, it says that God knit you together. He created plans be- before you were even born for you. And then in Isaiah 43, it says this is what the Lord says. He who created you, who formed you, he says, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. So let me ask you again, which thief are you? Because according to this definition, you know, we hold on to our lives as our own. We plan our days without even a thought for God. Unless we're a quote-unquote good Christian, then at least we think about him on Sunday. God, you can have that hour, that hour and a half right there. That's yours. But the rest of the time is mine. You're a thief. I'm a thief. Some would even say that this particular thief that was on the cross, the end of his life, was too late. What good is it? And what good will come of saving somebody at the end of their life on death's bed? What will it really prosper? What's really gained? He's in his final hours it's too late it's too late yet when this thief bowed in his brokenness he encountered christ he was forgiven he was redeemed he was given access into paradise with the very son of god I like it. i seen this plaque, you know, when you go to family Christian bookstores and stuff, you always, all these cute little phrases, and then they throw them on plaques, and you're supposed to plaster them all over your house. But this one that said, uh, the the guy on the other cross said I could come. I thought, that's cool. You know, he wasn't wearing the best of clothes that day. As a matter of fact, he's hanging there naked. He wasn't dressed for the the party that was about ready to be thrown, but he had direct access because he encountered Christ. Yes, it was late in his life, but it was never too late, and that's our lesson we need to learn from his story, is that it's never too late. It's never too late to begin living your life, your everyday waking moment life as God's possession and not as a thief. Every day when you wake up and you put your feet on the ground, the first breath should be not, I need to get to my toothpaste, which that should be your second one. But your first one should be, today is your day, God. I am yours. What would you like me to do? Please stop me, interrupt me, have your way with me. Just let me be all yours. It's huge. I, I, I don't know where I heard it or when I heard it, but I remember somebody preaching at one time that God is your co pilot. I can't stand that. God is not your co pilot, He is your pilot. He's not some trinket you put on your dash and you bobble his head so that, you know, or a bumper sticker you slap on your car. He's not anything but the pilot. If He is anything but, then your butt is too big. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God needs to be your pilot, in charge, in control. There's no other place for Him in your life. He needs to be number one or nothing. He doesn't like being compared or set on a shelf with other things. He's a very jealous God. It's never too late to begin living your life as his possession. And it's never too late to accept that invitation, that encountering of salvation. It's never too late. I tell Emma and Fred and Jean who go to um, the nursing homes and stuff, that is such an important ministry. These people are at the end of their life. They're about ready to enter eternity, either in hell or in heaven. And ministry that you do at those nursing home facilities is so important, or where you're at in in the laundry room, you know, but you have access to everyone, Jeannie. You have access to everyone that's about ready to step into eternity. That is so important that you're right there or Terry, you know, as a nurse's nurse, doctor's assistant, MA, her important medical career that she's right there when people get that diagnosis that, you know, it's terminal. That she can say but there's still hope. It's not too late. It's not too late. All right, so maybe unlike the thief who lives his life pridefully holding tight to things that don't even belong to him, maybe you're living a life of secret adultery. Living to please everyone and not focusing on the only one you should be living to please. So let's look at the next broken life. The Bible simply calls her the adulteress. Turn with me over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 2. It says, At dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, All right, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go, leave your life of sin. This woman, like many of us today, was living her life to please others instead of living her life to please only the one we should. John refused to name this woman here knowing that there was a weight of shame that not only was on her, but all who knew her. When we do something wrong, a weight of shame comes upon us, doesn't it? And because it was our fault, well, we can't ask anybody for help. And so we get stuck in this cycle of shame. And at times, I can sit in services or I can sit amongst the crowd, and I love sitting at malls and just watching people. But there's at times, I don't know if it's the spirit of discernment or what can come on me, and I can actually see that weight upon them by the look on their face by the way they walk by the way they stand by the way they're talking to somebody it affects their entire being and it is such a horrible thing that it actually produces this cycle of shame that they just feel like they can't ever get out I couldn't ever get out you can't you can't on your own you can't and you know what Paul touches on this cycle in Romans chapter 7. And it almost is hilarious how he starts trying to describe this. So let me read this to you, starting in verse 15 of Romans 7. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Pause. Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. James chapter 1 explains that our own evil desires give birth to sin, which continues to grow within us until it finally produces death. This cycle that continues, like he says, I kept doing what I didn't want to do. It will keep producing more sin. Sin begets sin which begets sin, until it's fully grown. And then, as James says, it produces death. It's that cycle that seems like it's never-ending, I'm sure that this adulteress wanted to get out of this cycle of shame, but she just didn't know how to stop it, how to get free. What's interesting is that her accusers thought that they had pushed her to the end, the edge. You're not getting away with this. This is it. Here it is. Death is is what you're going to get. And as they pushed her to the end... They didn't realize that at the end of your rope, when there's no other options and no way out, Jesus will always be there. The end of her rope is where she found and encountered Jesus. We do the same thing over and over again, day after day. We come into church each Sunday and make a promise to God. I'm going to read more of my Bible. I'll pray more. I'll give more. Oh, I'm going to stop this. Stop doing that. Stop saying this. Quit doing this. Only to see the same things continue to go on and on, and our promises continue to be broken week after week. Giving ourselves to everyone and everything but God. Keeping us in in this cycle of shame, and we're stuck. Even as Christians, we're stuck. By our own choosing, we're stuck, because we feel somehow that we can do it ourselves. We'll fix this, we'll stop doing this, we'll do more of this, and then it fails. And then all that weight just builds upon us, there you are, and you hear those voices, there you go again, doing the same thing, see, you couldn't change, you can't get out of this, you're the same wretched thinking person you was before Jesus, so why don't even, and you know what, when you're at church, don't even look up, because God's looking at you, don't even look up, don't raise your hand, don't ask for anything, because you know you're a wretched, wicked person, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, right? Right? It's that cycle of shame keeps you beaten down. And for some reason, the enemy can just go in there and stir you up and think, he tempts you and says, you can do this. Now, come on, you don't need to ask for any help. You can do this. on your, You can do this. But then the minute you fail, he's right over top of you again. Told you. Knew it. You're a failure. You can't do it. Don't ask God for help. How dare you ask God for help? Look at all he's done for you. You can't do this one thing. Keeping us locked down in this cycle of shame. But Paul said at the end of what we just read, who can rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who can? Well, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only one answer. It stopped right there. It's a simple little verse. Only God. When you finally surrender, stop trying to save yourself, that is when you will encounter Christ. So our lesson we can learn from the adulteress is it's never too big. It's also never too small. But it's never too big for God. God. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're stuck in now, it is never too big for God. And he is the only one that can break this cycle. But you have to stop trying to save yourself. Seek God as your only hope, as your only option with all your heart, with all your strength, he alone is what you need. Not what you want. (laughs) Nobody wants to be broken. Nobody wants to bawl like a baby, snot dripping down your face. Nobody wants to feel humiliated, really, if we want to go ahead and be honest with one another. Because as we start to get down on our knees, we're showing that we're not in control. When we start to bow before God, we actually are saying, I screwed up. I need you. I can't do this. And everything in our human nature is fighting against that. Don't you dare bow. Don't you dare ask for help. Don't even get emotional. You can do this. But that's the one thing we need. Because remember, what we're learning is that either we come and fall before the rock, broken, or that rock will come after us and break us and show us our brokenness. And let me tell you, it's a whole lot easier to bow your knee now and your brokenness come to him than when he has to come to you. The thief was looking for redemption from his life of sin. That's what he wanted. He wanted off that cross. The adulteress was looking for an escape. Get me away from these people who want to stone me. What they needed was found when there was no other hope, no other option. Forgiveness, restoration, beauty, joy, freedom. When we encounter Christ, our life changes from the inside out. There is a transforming exchange that happens. When you encounter Christ, when you come and, and whatever, bow, lay down, surrender yourself, broken before God, there's an exchange that happens. And, and I think it's best described here in Isaiah 61. Isaiah says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, released from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I need the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, Listen, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, listen, for the display of his splendor. His splendor. We cannot be a Christian people who are displaying his splendor apart from experiencing this transforming encounter, this exchange that happens. I love the fact that Jesus, in these encounters we read of between the thief and the adulteress, he gave forgiveness and restoration in the face of their accusers. The world will constantly want to beat you down, keep you paying for your sins. But when you ask, when you come broken before God and there's that transforming exchange and the world starts bringing up, but you were, you are, you've always been, you can turn to God and he says, what sin? I don't see those ashes anymore. I see beauty. I don't see that sin anymore. I see a transformed person in my splendor. He wants to take our filthy rags. The Bible calls all of our righteousness, every good thing that we could ever conjure up and do and try to make good in this world are like filthy rags but he says, I want to put my robe of righteousness upon you. In that transforming encounter, he wants to robe you with his righteousness. Next week, we'll look at the murderer who was oblivious to his brokenness, and yet he too encountered Christ so our lesson we've learned today our lessons we learned is it's never too late and it's never too big God wants to bring beauty out of your brokenness but we have to come to him broken it's absurd to think that we can get right and then come to God if that's really possible why did Jesus have to die to think that you need to clean up your act before you can come to God is just ludicrous. It's the biggest, dumbest lie from the pits of hell. Over and over again in the Bible, God is calling, just come to me, broken. I want to transform you. I want to give you beauty for your ashes, joy for your mourning. I have a robe to put on you, a ring to put on your finger, to call you, proclaim you as mine, redeemed, restored. God's mercy knows no limits. He will stop at nothing to bring his children home, restored and redeemed. Either you come willingly in your brokenness or he will come and show you your brokenness. So right now at the altar, we have communion today. I think it's such an appropriate time that I've uh, picked out a song and we're going to play a song. But as that song's played and you come up here and take your communion, I want you to find a place to get alone. Because in this message that we just heard today, God is calling to us in our brokenness. He wants to break this cycle of shame in us. He wants to do this transformational exchange in us that that needs to be done alone so that we have the freedom to blubber, snot, cry, whatever it takes, and know in in the... comfort of this room you're among family and if you need to cry out cry out but I want you to take your communion I want you to get alone because there's an exchange that needs to happen today there's an encounter that needs to happen today and I would so much pray that you would come broken before God before he would have to come to you and break you So this is a whole lot easier to do it now. So just, Kevin, if you can, start that song. I want you to encounter forgiveness from being a thief. I want you to encounter forgiveness from adultery, from giving yourself to everything and everyone. I want you to encounter Christ today. So go ahead while this song plays. Yes, Lord. God, I don't want us to rush out too quickly, Lord. God, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Just seeking you right now. Seeking you, God, in our brokenness. God, we know that you have all we need. Lord, we seek your face. God, we're tired of trying. I don't know how or why we even thought we could try to do things on our own. Even as Christians, we think for some reason what, like Paul described, what we started in the spirit, we're now going to try to finish in the flesh and do this life on our own? That we can bottle you up in some hour and a half and, and sing our songs to you and think that's all? We did it? God, will never change a world. We'll never be able to proclaim your good news if your glory, your splendor is not seen in us. The only way that happens is when we encounter you and let you do that transformational exchange and take all of our filthy rags, all of our shame, all of our Junk and give us your heavenly deposits of beauty and joy and praise, freedom, restoration. Then we can be those living epistles that are displaying your splendor and your glory. God, we just wait here. We wait here for you. I want to see the heavens open up above this place. I want to see your glory fall on each and every one of us. That, Lord, when we leave this place, we won't leave the same. And God, as we sung earlier, that we'll come expecting every week, expecting you to show up bigger because we believe you desire to meet with us mm. God have your way set people free today That freedom Freedom come from that cycle of shame. Let it be broken today. In the name of Jesus, break that cycle. Hear him calling your name. Lay down that weight. Lay down that weight. Stop trying to save yourself. Lay it down. Oh, he is waiting here. He is waiting here for you. Come in your brokenness and let him bring beauty out of that brokenness. Mm. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. you just go ahead and sing that, Kevin. Sing that song. Mm. Yes.
1: Faith can You. we adore, singing Alleluia. Don't let
0: the pride of the other thief keep you from encountering Christ.
1: You are everything you promised Your faithfulness is true We're desperate for your presence All we need is you Oh You are everything you promised your yeah. faithfulness is true we're desperate for your presence all we need is you O oh lord we're waiting here for you with our hands Lifted high in praise And it's you I adore Singing Alleluia
0: Presence. We thank you for your heart of love, your mercy. God, we thank you that we can't ever do anything too bad or go too far or stay too long from your forgiveness, from your arm of love. That you're constantly wooing us into your presence, drawing us into your presence, wanting us to come and experience you, experience those encounters with you, not once in a lifetime, but every day in our life. That like like our own clothing that we wouldn't go out of the house with, let us not, Lord, go out of our house without being clothed in your splendor. Spending time in this encounter with you, that we can be those displays of your glory and splendor that you want us to be, that we need to be, God. God, I pray right now for this church. God, that you continue to break any religious spirits over this place. That you continue to break our hearts and mold us and create us into the individuals, Lord, that we need to be and this community needs us to be. God, for your glory, for your praise, not man's, but for your honor, for your name's sake. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.